Well, children are either romanticized, uh, which is an unreality, or they're banished. And it's no wonder that in our nation, millions of real children, millions and millions of real children go to bed hungry and wake up to a life experience that is anything but unsullied. And we should be ashamed of that and repent of such narcissism. But maybe this can help us understand something about what Jesus was talking about when he said, whosoever humbles himself uh, like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, well, how are children humble? What is so obvious in, in this passage and other passages where our Lord is talking about children is that Jesus obviously does not bless our romanticizing of childhood. He is not saying that little children are natural geniuses uh, or naturally Christian or naturally good or pious or any of that. Uh, what is humble about a little child is that he has no status and he is completely powerless. Jesus picked that little child up and put him down in the midst of the adults. The child is completely dependent because he is completely powerless and that is what Jesus is saying about discipleship. His disciples, now his disciples thought that the same rules applied in the church as applied in the larger community that they lived in. And so when they said, which is all about power and status, uh, which is why they said who's the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, that's another way of saying who's the richest and most powerful uh, in the kingdom. And Jesus then turned it upside down and turned their world upside down. And it's hard to, I, I, I don't know how to say this. I'll do my best. Uh, I promise you to be as offensive as Jesus uh, is, but I'm probably not going to uh, succeed. But, so this is what he says. Unless you see that you are truly helpless, weak, defenseless, feeble, frail, vulnerable, and fragile as a little child, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Become as little children means assuming a child's low independent status, which is in fact being in touch with reality. Everything in our life, everything in our life, beginning with our very existence, is a gift from God, and it's sustained by God and not by us. None of us brought ourselves into existence. That's God's gift. Are y'all with me? Okay. From there, Jesus went on to say, that the world will naturally despise these little children, a term now that he begins to use here throughout the chapter. Uh, and by this point in the text, we know that Jesus is enlarging the meaning of that word uh, and that the term little ones or little children are, are identifying not just children, but his disciples. Uh, the term little children uh, in fact, may have been a scornful phrase for Jesus' low-status disciples coined by his opponents. Whatever the origin, uh, Jesus used it to 
refer to his disciples and not merely and not only to children. Now, what Jesus has laid down at this point in chapter 18 is that the person who has no status, no power, no precious things to hold back from Jesus, that person is the best model for the citizen of the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. We can all sing that. Uh, but that's exactly what he's saying. If you cling to the cross, you have to let go of everything else. Status, power, self-esteem, as well as anger and grudges or unforgiveness. It will be impossible to cling to the cross and hold on to unforgiveness. Now, with all that as a background, I'm going to preach the sermon. Okay, only kidding, only joking, Half, halfway, halfway joking. Uh, Jesus, at this point then, uh, taught his disciples how brothers and sisters who have sinned against one another or who have thought uh, or who are thought uh, to have sinned against one another are to deal with that personal issue. Are you, do you hear what I'm saying? Now he's going to tell us how, how brothers and sisters who have sinned against one another or who are thought to have sinned against one another, how to deal with it. He's very clear. First of all, he says, go to one another privately. Just go back to, read Matthew 18 this week. Go back to one another privately and talk it out. And come to an understanding. And if one of you or both of you have sinned against the other, admit it and then forgive. He's really clear about that. But if you can't talk it out, Jesus is a realist, isn't he? If you can't talk it out, like brothers and sisters of Christ, uh, if one is recalcitrant, then you have to bring one or two other people with you uh, to help this understanding. Now, the others that are brought along are not to function as judge or jury. They're intercessors. They're intercessors of prayer. The motive, and this is it, listen to what I'm saying. The motive between brothers and sisters is to save your souls and the soul of your sibling. Not to get satisfaction for your hurt feelings or your bruised ego. This goes back to the way Jesus opened up the whole discussion in the first place. Not one of us can make a special claim on the kingdom of God. Any thought of status will power over the brother, over our brothers or sisters, and that includes a brother or a sister who has sinned against you or one you think has sinned against you is a non-starter for Jesus. And that means that being sinned against does not give you special status. So that you... Well, it doesn't give me special status either uh, so that I can look down my judgmental nose, my self-righteous nose at my brother or sister. The polity for the kingdom is not an easy way through life. What I'm describing is not easy. This is hard. This is very difficult work. It's not the easy way through life. The easy way is to go away. That's the easy way 
or to pretend to rise above it all or just quietly back off out of the relationship and just let it come to an end and not make a big fuss. Those are not options in the kingdom of God. This requires, and I know personally, this requires patience, it requires faith, it requires truth, because let's face it, the last thing most of us want is somebody else's version of the truth about me, right? I don't want to hear that, but that's what I have to hear. Peter said unto Jesus, <laughs> it's, this is, it, it, it's really funny. How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Let's hope. You can count up seven times. Please see how Peter's presupposition is that he is the person who has been sinned against and therefore he's a person with power. He thinks the power of absolution is a personal possession and he wants to know when he can withhold that grace that he thinks belongs to him. But Jesus pulls no punch. Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And Peter didn't do any quick calculation in his mind. Once he said that, that settled the matter. He knew exactly what it meant. There is no end to it. The fact of the matter is that Peter didn't stand a chance of being a disciple of Jesus Christ without his unlimited forgiveness that was offered to him. Nor do any of us. Something I want you to see, and I've said this already, I've hinted at this, but I want to underline this, is that Jesus' answer to Peter's question is about politics. It's polity. It's the polity of the kingdom where Jesus is the king. As you know, uh, it, it, and I don't have to tell you that it's, it's radically different from any politics we actually experience. Uh, but let's not think about that. What I want you to think about is the reality of this polity that we're to live with. You know the word politics is based on the Greek word polis, and that means city or state. Politics is like the word polity, uh, uh, which strictly means citizenship. And what Jesus does with Peter's question is to describe the way of citizens in the city of God. He's laying down how the citizens of the kingdom are to relate to one another here and now and from now on. He sums up his politics with this parable then of the servant who has been forgiven all of his deaths. I mean, don't you just, you just think, this is just, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, as, as stupid as it is, uh, this guy, it's, it's kind of funny too. He, the king forgives him everything. And what does he do? He just goes right out and he starts beating people up who owe him a penny. And so the king found him he found out about it uh, because people were complaining and he, the king had him brought in and tortured. That's what this text says. Tortured until he had paid everything, his whole debt. 
This parable makes it clear that before I go confronting my brother or sister about their sin, about what they owe me, I have to first remember that I have been forgiven. I have been forgiven my sins. My debt to God, which is, can't not even be compared to the debt that we owe to one another. That makes me a member of a community of sinners who have been forgiven. The question is not, do we hold one another accountable, but rather how do we hold one another accountable in the city of God? And to know how to deal with that, uh, to know how to deal with being sinned against, and to know how to deal with the fact that we have uh, sinned against others requires that we know how we became citizens of God in the first place. And not one of us earned it. Not one of us bought our way into it. We were born into this kingdom. It's a free gift of grace. In fact, most of us, when we were helpless, utterly dependent little children, little babies, a responsible adult saw to it that we were freely given that which by nature we do not possess. And we were baptized into the citizenship of the kingdom of Christ. We were regenerated, given the Holy Ghost, grafted into the body of Christ, infused with heavenly virtues. And that was made the beginning of our of grace and, and, and of our start on the Christian, even before we knew it. Last paragraph. In the Middle Ages, this uh, parish, parish churches and dioceses understood that they were in a way foreign consulates representing a, another king and his citizens. The faithful Christian uh, were thus understood to be resident aliens in a foreign land and the church reminded them of their true citizenship by placing statues and icons and, and, and uh, and paintings of martyrs uh, at the front door and all around the church, uh, uh, scenes of decapitation, bloody swords, and saints being burned to death. That's what it was. And that's how you go to any church in Europe and that's what you see. Walk in, there it is, right at the front door. Now, these are those who love Jesus above all else. Now, they may look powerless, those martyrs. But in fact, they are brothers and sisters and they unmask the lies of this world and its politics of power and hate and fear and revenge. These are his little children, free men and free women. A beautiful thing to see. Saints of God, citizens of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.